Father, even as a child sang loud, Lord, come Lord Jesus, sup with us, fellowship with us, you speak, you speak, Lord, for you alone have the words of life. You gave us a promise this year to seek you, to dwell with you, to desire for you above everything else. You asked us to abide in thy word. Today, Father, I pray even as you speak to us, our ears will be open to hear your voice. And you would teach us each day to rest in you, to abide in you, to put our trust in you. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. Help us to walk with you. Prepare us for the table. Your table. Prepare our hearts. We know we can never be perfect. But we know we can be blameless. Help us to be blameless in your presence. Slow to speak. Quick to hear. Quick to obey. Help us, Father. Speak now, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said, seven days. This is the seventh day of the year. This is six days God created everything. And on the seventh day he rested. And the writer of Hebrews will tell us, to labor, not to work, to labor, to enter into his rest. Cease from our works. So that he can begin his work in us and through us. So it's good that we have an incredible year where the first Sunday is the seventh day and we are here. Beginning is still there in the beginning of this new year, the seventh day. I don't know how the six days has been. Resolutions all forgotten. Half kept. Struggling. You see, Israel had, uh, if you look at many of the things which we do, what we say traditionally in church, are picked up from Israel's history. Israel had uh, two beginnings, if you look. One, when they prepared to leave Egypt. Okay, when they prepared to leave Egypt. In Exodus 12 and verse 1, God tells Israel, they are in Egypt. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, yeah, can I have the next verse also? This month shall be your beginning of the month and it shall be the first month of the year to you. See, God's order is not our order. This month in the Egyptian calendar was not the first month. 
It was not the month in which they were living in the land. That was irrelevant. God says, this is your beginning. This is your beginning. Okay. And if you know your Exodus, you should know your Exodus as you know your Genesis, 50 chapters, starting with creation, ending with Joseph's funeral. Exodus beginning with Joshebeth and Amram, though their names are not mentioned in Exodus 1. And when you come to Exodus 12, it is talking about the Passover. Okay. He says, we want to get out first and go somewhere. God says, before I can take you somewhere, you need to have the covering of the blood. First, you need to get out of the power of death before anything else can happen. So for Israel, God says, this is your beginning. The 10th day of this month, you will take that Passover lamb, you will kill it, you will take the blood, you will take the hyssop, you will put it on the lentils of your house, and that marks your beginning. They haven't left Egypt, okay? But that begins, that marks their beginning. So for us too, though we celebrate birthdays, especially children's birthdays, but older people try to remember that our beginning, actual real beginning, is the day when we put our faith in the blood of the Lamb of God. Alone, nothing else for our deliverance. That's our real beginning, our history with God. Our history in eternity begins on that day. The day you realized you are a sinner condemned to go to hell forever. And there was this loving, merciful God who had offered his own son and his blood has atonement. You saw your sin and saw his righteousness and put your faith in that. You repented and you turned away. That is our beginning. In him alone, that's our beginning. The rest all are prisoners enslaved in Egypt. They have a new beginning for them. The rest are all in Egypt. The rest are all in the world, but they are enslaved to the world system. So we put our faith in the blood of Jesus. That's why we have communion on the first Sunday of every month to remind us of our beginning. That's where we began. Without this, we don't have a beginning. And many who do not partake of this is because they haven't begun. Okay, so you should begin. A day should come when you should be able to say, Yes, I want to start my journey with Jesus. The second beginning for Israel is 40 years late. A generation began here. God led them out of Egypt with mighty hands, took them into the wilderness. Two years later, they stuttered at the edge of the promised land. Two years. He didn't even have to wait for three years to look for the fruit. Second year, they've collapsed. So that generation died in the desert. They were saved, but they did not possess 
what was promised to them. Okay. Many in Christendom are saved, but we are promised the very life of Jesus Christ that reigns over sin, that reigns over flesh, that reigns over this world system, that reigns over the powers of darkness. But most will not possess it because of unbelief. Not because of any lack of power on God's side. God will tell Israel, your fathers shortened my arm because of their unbelief. We don't believe and we don't obey. The power of God doesn't come into our lives and the life of Christ we are not able to partake. They were promised a land, we are promised a life. So both are PL, okay? Promised land and promised life. Okay? So the second beginning is 40 years later. Another generation. Young generation. God deliberately did it. He knew. He brought the parents out. Parents have come from the world. They refused to change their worldly ways. So God says, what can I do with you? I can't do anything with you. I'll make you wander, 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 wander 40 years. Let you all die in the desert. But I will have a set of children who will forget Egypt. Who will not think like the world. Walk like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, listen to music like the world, watch movies like the world. I will have a set of people. And he got a set of people, young people. They grew up and they were ready to possess. That was the second beginning of Israel under a new leader. And the leader is Joshua. The first leader is the is Moses and the second leader is Joshua. Moses can bring you only this far. There's a limit Moses can do. Because Moses represents the law. Law can bring you this far. But only Jesus can take you further. So scripture says, Paul will say this way. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we may be justified by faith. What was law? Tutor was a teacher to bring us to Jesus. So Moses was the teacher to bring Israel to Yeshua, that is Joshua. And only Joshua can take us into the life which God has promised. Only Jesus can take us across into that promised land. Only he can help us to cross over. So this morning, as we are in the beginning on the seventh day of a new year, We'll look at some of those fundamental spiritual principles from the word of God. Because we still have 51 weeks left. If you really successfully want to cross over from one year to another year to move into more of what God promises his children. So we will turn to the second beginning. We will turn to Joshua chapter 3 and read the first seven verses. Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from Achaia Grove and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and their lords there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. They commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. 
for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So let's go to verse 1. Let's look at, especially young ones, all the young ones, a lot of young ones. If you really want to do something with your life, learn fundamental scriptural principles. Joshua rose early in the morning. That's the first thing. Whatever you have decided to do, do it early. Don't delay. Procrastination, meaning delaying, is a scourge in the kingdom and in the world. It's called the Mexican spirit, which is never do anything today which you can do tomorrow. The only thing they will do today is to cross across the American border. Nothing else. Okay. Joshua rose early in the morning. And you will see Jesus' life, he always rose early in the morning. Now we work in different kinds of, in one time zone, but we work in different time zones. Some are on British timing, some are on American, okay? So, whichever it is, whatever is early for you, according to, but begin early. Don't delay. Now I'm coming into spiritual things, okay? But principles are same. Don't delay doing the things that you need to do. Especially spiritual things. You can delay other things. It may not harm you so much. But if you delay spiritual things, we don't, because we don't sense it, they actually cause you much more greater harm than other things. Keep your goals very, very clear. But God's way, not man's way. God's way, not man's way. What is God's way? We have to learn now. That's what the mind of Christ is about. We have to learn to see things from God's perspective. How does God see? How does God want me to see? God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And yet in the new covenant, God says, he's giving us the mind of Christ Jesus And he says, by the hearing of the word, let your mind be constantly renewed so that we learn to see things God's way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, scripture says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body. This is God's order. We have heard it before, but hear it. When God sees He doesn't see his body first. He sees his spirit first. He sees his soul and he sees his body. When you and I look in the mirror, we see body first. That's why everyone is looking beautiful, handsome, well-dressed, because we saw body first. Soul, very rarely we see our spirit. But God sees a spirit, soul, and body. So when you set your goals... 
Scripture says physical exercise is good. But spiritual exercise is better. That's why those who are body first will rise up early in the morning and they will go jogging. Those who are soul first will wake up early in the morning and read the newspaper. But Jesus will wake up early in the morning and go into the closet to pray. Because he's got his perspective very clear. Very, very clear. Okay? Get perspective very clear. Spirit first. Soul second. Body third. And early. Meaning, stop just talking about it. Start doing it. Because there are so many in the world physically fit, mentally smart, and spiritually blind. And with all their fitness and intellectual ability, if they die that way, they go straight to hell. Where neither their strength nor their ability will be used. So remember, soul doesn't come first. Neither does the body come first. It is the spirit that comes first. And spiritual blindness is an incredibly tragic thing. Some people will say, look at me, I am so fit. They are not able to see the blindness of their soul. Some people are so incredibly well read. But they don't see their heart. See, unless spiritually our eyes are open, we can never really examine ourselves. And God asks us to constantly examine ourselves. How do we examine ourselves if spiritually? Because scripture says, the only person who is not judged, scripture says, the only person who is not judged is the spiritual man judges all things and he himself is not judged. The only set of people who will come through judgment without judgment are those who are spiritual. The reasonable ones will be judged because they could not judge themselves because one faculty was shut. The physically fit ones also will be judged because other faculties or spiritual faculty was shut. The spiritual faculty has to be open. That's where God comes in. And the spirit speaks to the spirit. Spirit doesn't talk to the soul. The spirit speaks to the spirit and the soul digests it. Spirit doesn't speak to the soul. The spirit speaks to the spirit. When we are soulish, we are constantly judging others. And we think our judgment is right. When our judgment could be absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Let me tell you, example. Okay, Peter, since you're sitting in the front, okay? He's a good kid, okay? He's a very good, very quiet, calm kid. But for an example, let's say 2017, he messed up big time. Really big time. Name the sins, did it all. Okay. okay. But nobody saw him on 31st, 30th night, 31st, him crying out to the Lord broken, 
in his closet. Nobody saw. God saw, God heard, God restored him, God cleansed him. On first, ten people are judging Peter. Okay, do you know Peter? Peter Anna? Do you know? Everything they say is false because God has pressed the delete button. It's not there. It's not there. What are you talking about? I don't see. It's not there. That's why God says, beware about judging. Beware of judging. Because only God knows. Nobody else knows. Nobody knows. No one knows. That's what Paul says, when I judge myself, I ultimately leave it to God because I myself don't know about myself. Only God knows. So very careful in these things. That is why we need to ask God more and more for spiritual things. If you were there yesterday, you would have heard about spiritual matters. How the kingdom of God is incredibly real. Actually, to the spiritual man, the kingdom of God is more real than the physical world. It's tangible. It's tangible. We don't see the things of the kingdom of God as tangible. Tangible means which you can sense. You don't sense it with your hands or your senses. You sense it with your spirit. Jesus says, when you go to your house, he says, what are you supposed to say? Peace be upon you. Now, everybody cannot say that. Only the ones who experience the peace of God has the tangible thing can say it. When they say it, if the person, other person knows the peace of God, has made peace with God, it will go to him. If it doesn't, it will return back to him and he knows time to get out of this house. Things of God are tangible. The kingdom of God is real. As real as the kingdom of this world is. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you are intellectually fantastic, but blind spiritually. Unless you are born again, you will not see, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. So, this is, that's a beginning. What we are talking about, there is a growth in it, incredible growth in it. That you can end up like Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and all in the Old and the New Testament. Philip, Peter. You have to look at it and say, you know what? That's real. I want to reach there. That's what Elisha asked. Elisha followed, 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 followed Elijah. How many years? We don't know. Then finally when he crossed River Jordan, he asked, what do you seek? Double portion of your anointing. He's saying, I'm not the one that gives it. I cannot guarantee it, but I will tell you one thing. If you see how I am being taken, everybody here knows I am going today. All the sons of the prophets said I am going today. But nobody is going to see how I am going. If you see how I am going, that means you are ready for that anointing. That's not an ordinary anointing. And scripture says, chariots of fire came. Nobody saw. Only Elisha saw. He saw the chariots of fire. Come and take Elijah. 
and his eyes opened. Shreya was telling them. Elijah went, only one thing fell from down. What fell? The mantle fell. You know when that mantle was put on him? First, years and years ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago, when he was a young man plowing his father's field, Elijah had come and put the mantle. He was called. He was chosen that day. Because he single-mindedly, without losing his focus, walked with this man. said, this is what I am looking for. I want your spirit. And a double portion of it. Even in this world, people who really succeed are those who are single-minded in their pursuit. God says, be single-minded in your pursuit for the things of God because it is real. It is real. Be single-minded in your pursuit of spiritual things. Put the spirit first. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Why kingdom of God and his righteousness? The kingdom of God represents his power and authority and righteousness represents how he does things. First I need power. I don't seek this first. I seek this first because if I only seek this, I will be desperate, I will be depressed because no one can keep this. To keep this, I need this. Who can keep the righteousness of God? No man. But if you have the power of God, you can keep the righteousness of God. So God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's a matter of power. He says, seek. That's why he told his disciples after three and a half years, wait. Until you have received power. Grow in that power. And you will grow in righteousness. Focus is very clear. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things. Whatever you need in life. God knows what we need. He knows we need food. We need water. We need clothes. We need housing. We need transportation. We need jobs. We need all these things God says. But he says, put your order right. You put your order right. This will never be a struggle. Never be a struggle. It will come. Because you got your perspective right. If this is not right, this will be a struggle. Or if it is not a struggle, you will be tight-fisted. Because you will still live in fear. Or mammon will bind you. Like I told yesterday, money is money. But God called it mammon, meaning it's a spirit attached to it. It binds you. Rich young ruler was bound by that spirit. So when Jesus said, leave and follow me, he refused. That mammon pulled him out. These are spirits. These are tangible things in the kingdom. Zacchaeus could break loose from the spirit of mammon. And Jesus said, salvation has come. While the rich young ruler, he kept all the commandments of God, was pulled away by the spirit of mammon and turned his back to the Savior. These are real things. Go back and listen. You might get a little scared, but listen to the second half of yesterday's message. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are not like what we think. It's all there, here. So focus, focus. Lord, let me get the spiritual things right. Spiritual things right. Because if I don't get my spiritual things right, I could really, really mess up on judgment day. Really, we hear children 
asking for prayer because tomorrow is exam, judgment day. See, you need to realize mercy is received here, not on that day. Not on that day. That day there is only judgment. There is no mercy that day. Mercy is received here. Let me put perspective. We are putting at perspective, spiritual perspective, putting spiritual things first. Look at what God says in Hebrews 12, verse 15, which I was sharing with the pastors yesterday. Looking carefully. Where are you looking? In yourself. See, when you look in the mirror, you should not look in the mirror like a man looks in the mirror. You should look like the way a woman looks in the mirror. When a man looks in the mirror, even if his belly is hanging till his knees, he pulls it up and says six packs. When a woman looks in the mirror, she sees one little dot. It's a calamity. <laughs> you should learn to examine yourself like a woman looks in the mirror. Looking carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. How do you fall short of the grace? What saves you? You're saved by grace. How do you fall short of grace? Lest any root of bitterness springing up. Not only has it come, you start passing that bitterness into the lives of others. Thereby you cause trouble and many becomes defiled. Examine the spiritual. Am I bitter? Am I unforgiving? Am I angry? Am I? 2017 is another story. 2018, seven days into it. How am I? Because one thing after the fall, after Adam, common is disappointments. I told the pastors yesterday, in life, betrayal is part of life. You'll always feel betrayed. That one betrayed me. Husband betrayed me. Wife betrayed me. My children betrayed me. My grandchildren betrayed me. My manager betrayed me. Everybody betrayed me. Welcome to the world. Jesus was betrayed by everybody. If the master was betrayed, servants also will be. David was betrayed. Jesus was betrayed. But listen carefully. Betrayal is what others do to you. Betrayal is what others do to you or you do to others. Bitterness is what you do to yourself. Betrayal is what others do to you or you do to others. But bitterness is what you do to yourself. You cannot guard against betrayal. Cannot guard against betrayal. But you can guard against bitterness. You can guard against unforgiveness. You can guard against the things of the spirit that matter to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, scripture says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, we have all these promises of God. Why doesn't it come to pass? 
Where is the block? Not in the body. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Filthiness of the spirit. Perfecting what? Holiness in the fear of God. It says cleanse your spirit. God says watch out. These are the real issues of life. God is there for his children. God wants to break through from all his children. But God says, I am not able to break through for you because I have to start with your spirit. Because I am spirit. And I am holy. And your spirit is filthy. Get rid of those things, he says. You can be fit, incredibly disciplined in your body, in your eating habits, waking habits, studying habits, working habits, incredibly disciplined, very good for your company. You could be incredibly intellectually, incredibly wise, smart. But nobody sees your spirit. Let me give you examples from the Bible. Very you are familiar. Most people are not, but you are familiar. Second Samuel chapter 17 and verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose, went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hung himself. And hung himself. But listen to this. He put his household in This is a discipline which he had inculcated over the years. In his body, in his mind, he has order. So even when he is taken over by the spirit of death, the spirit of suicide, and his spirit is absolutely messed up, the other two function, he puts everything in order and then hangs himself. So did the discipline in the body and the discipline in the soul ultimately matter? Didn't matter. Didn't matter. We need discipline. We need to wake up early in the morning. We need to do our things all in proper, in order. You will save a lot of time. You will succeed in the life, everything. But if our spirit is not disciplined, If our spirit has not been surrendered to God and the cleansing daily by the spirit and the word, this could be an end. He had order. He had order. Order. We all need to have order. Much of the chaos is because of people don't have order in their life. That's why there is so much disorder in the society. If people had order in their physical lives, there would be so much order in the society. We need order. But along with order in the body and in the soul, you need to be very careful about your spirit. Let's look at another man. The man. Jesus Christ. Jesus was betrayed by everybody. Look at here. John chapter 13. Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what do you do? Do quickly. Now listen. Told it before. Told it yesterday to the pastors also. This is no mantra or magic. This communion table is not magic. It's real. It's incredibly powerful one way or other. If our heart and our spirit is not right, it doesn't matter who is breaking the bread. It can be Jesus himself who breaks and gives the devil enters you. 
The first communion. Not the Catholic first communion. The first communion. Who broke the bread? Jesus. Dipped in the wine. Gave it. Result? God said, you didn't examine yourself. You had three and a half years walking with me, hearing my word, listening to my word, ministering in my power. You know what the kingdom is. You didn't examine yourself. Since you are planning to betray me, the original betrayer will come into you. What you do? Do quickly. He went. He betrayed Jesus. Now in Matthew 26, we will see after that what happens. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people of his betrayer. Now what is he called? He's taken it and gone and betrayed. Had given him a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize it. What happens? Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, what did Jesus say? Friend? Why have you come? Is there any bitterness in his heart? A little before, you know, he had left. Only eleven are left. And he told the eleven, I call you no longer servants. I call you friends. Because everything the father taught me, I have revealed it to you. So I call you my friends. Though he was not in that group, he included him in the group. Because I have taught you everything I know. You're still my friend. No bitterness. Betrayal is something others do to you or you do to others. Bitterness is something you do to yourself. Scripture says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. I am saying, church is full of broken people. Often single mothers, single parents. Guard your heart. We are not calling black white or white black. What we are saying is, guard your heart. Guard your heart. We need to have order in our body, the way we function. We need to have order in the mind, in our soul functions. But we need to have order in our spirit too. Spiritual disciplines. Then let's look at the next portion. John 20. This is third day after the betrayal. Jesus is dead. He's risen. Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Who is this talking about? Jesus' dead body had been brought. They had put all those herbs, embalmed his body with strips of cloth, and they put it in that tomb, and he rose. When he rose, he bodily rose, and the strips of clothes are lying just like there. And there is a headpiece. What is it? Jesus is also a man of incredible order. So even in his resurrection state, before he leaves, he folds the handkerchief, keeps it there and goes. Ahitophel had order. Jesus also had order. One went down, one went to his father's presence. You need order. That's a discipline which we never forget. This comes automatically when you practice it over and over and over and over. These things come automatically. You don't have to think about it. These things will always help you. Even when you resurrect in your new body, you will still fold your handkerchief. But what matters is 
do we have discipline in our spirit? Our order, our discipline, our intellectual capacity, none of these will make any difference if our spirit is contaminated. Therefore, examine yourself. It's not before a mirror. It's before this. God says, my word is a mirror. And the one who points out is the spirit of God. If you are honest, he will show you. He will show you. Understand this. To examine yourself, it takes great humility. And in the kingdom of God, the greatest virtue is humility. God does not humiliate us. Shame us. Scripture says anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will not be put to. No, he doesn't humiliate us. But he tries to humble us. They are not the same. Why does God try to humble us? Because he is humble. He is humble. Ahitophel is proud and intellectual. Jesus is humble and wise. Ahitophel is proud and intellectual. Jesus is humble and wise. Never forget Isaiah 57 and verse 15. What thus says, who? This is God. The high and lofty one who inhabits in eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and with him also. One place on earth I look for. One with him who has a contrite and a humble. What is contrite? Somebody who is broken over their sin. That is contrition. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and salvation. Somebody who is broken. Everybody is a sinner. But those who is broken over their sin, that is called contrite. One who is contrite and a humble spirit. He says, I live with them. That's why God is trying to make us humble because he wants to live with us. Because on 31st we receive the promise about abiding in him. God can only speak to the humble. So this year, don't delay. Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to hear every day from you. Every day from you. God speaks to the humble. And he hears the humble. Not only does he speak to the humble, he hears from the humble just like that. Look at the difference. 2 Samuel chapter 16 verse 23. Who is this? Ahitophel. Now the advice of Ahitophel which he gave in those days was as the one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahitophel both with David and with Absalom. What is like? Incredibly wise man. You listen to him. His wisdom was like heaven. From heavenly, literally heavenly. It was like an oracle of God. That is using that wisdom because of the filthiness of his spirit to go against David. David is not a wise man. He's not a, not a, he's, a he's not an intellectual. Uh, Solomon is an intellectual, incredibly intellectual, learned man. David is a simple guy. His background is a shepherd. What he has is the wisdom of God. He's not an intellectual at all. But he's a humble, contrite man. 
Then someone told David, saying, Ahitophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David immediately knew this is trouble. Why? This guy is smart. This guy is smart. Really smart. He's got brains. He knows how to mess your life up. What does this humble man do? One simple prayer. Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahitophel to foolishness. He knew how network works, that everything has to come through the satellite. So he said, Lord, when is this thing, let the satellite give no signal. Simple man. Very simple man. He said, Lord, I pray turn the counsel of Ahitophel to God answered his prayer. And David is alive, Ahitophel is dead. One prayer. Do you see how God's kingdom works? That's how it works. That's what God is talking about. See, reading, 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 reading without God touching your spirit is pointless. Only thing you cultivate is the discipline of reading. Reading is good. It's a very good discipline. But here is a man with whom God dwelt. What is this man? God says, he's contrite and he's humble. Contrite and humble. Let me, let me do a simple quiz, young people. Let me see how many of you know this name. David, you are not David. Vijay, you are not allowed to speak, okay? Have you heard about somebody called Maka? No, Mecca. You don't know Maka. Hagith, Abital, Egla, Ahino. When I come to the sixth one, you will know. Abigail, Ah, Bethsheba. These are all David's wives. He had seven wives, many concubines, 19 sons and one daughter. This is a guy who really messed his life up. Mess. You want to talk about a mess in his life? This is a guy who really messed his life. But God saw his contrition, God saw his humility, wiped it all clean. It's a guy who really messed up. You know, if you look in the Bible, the big names, Abraham. We take the Bible, count the name of Abraham, 234 times it is mentioned in the Bible, the father of believers. The great lawgiver, Moses, if you take the Bible, Moses is mentioned 717 times. You take David, David is mentioned 989 times. All the way till Revelation. And Jesus till the end will be called the son of David. And his throne will be called the throne of David. Why? Because he had a contrite and a humble heart. He put his spirit first. Put his spirit first. That's what God is talking about. We really seriously desire God and not religion. Really seriously desire God. Put your focus first on the spirit. Humble yourself. You're getting the picture? In First Peter chapter 5 verse 6 scripture says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. 
When he lifts you, lifts you up to you himself. Like I said, he doesn't humiliate you. God doesn't humiliate you. God covers you. People will humiliate you. When people talk, they will only talk about the bad things of your past. When God talks to the humble and the contrite, he only took up talks about the good things of you. What all things did David do? After David, you read God's history. He'll always say, it's my servant David. Nobody was like my servant David. Nobody was like my servant David. Nobody's heart was like my servant David. He talks only the good things about him. Because he saw his heart and said, your past is wiped out. Doesn't exist. It's a difference between God's conversation about his children and our conversation about others. He never talks. He never gives any testimony about David. All the testimonies he talks about David are excellent testimony. You go through the Bible, it matter any king comes, he will say, yeah, he's good. But he was not like David. David, like in our language, God is saying David was too good. But if you know his history and how God looks at people, never looks at the quantum of our sin. He looks at our quantum of our contrition. The humility of our heart. And God says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt. God lifted this man. Like I said, the Old Testament, there is hardly any man who is mentioned by God more than David. Because there is no man who humbled himself more than David. Are we getting the picture? Now we got six, seven wives of David, their names. Everybody knows. I didn't tell you all the names. This one other called Michal. Second daughter of King Saul. So it was not seven. He had eight or more. He's still counting his wives. For all his wives. If you look at all these wives. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You pick one who should be the most Bitter among them. Rabin Bedship. Unlike all the others. All the others were single women or widows. Bedship was a married woman and her husband was an excellent man and she loved him. The king forcibly took her, got her pregnant, got her husband killed and then married her. When her husband died, scripture says she mourned for 30 days. Anybody could have been mad and bitter and carried. Because she has no power to disobey the command of the king. She could have appealed to his righteous nature. I don't know why she didn't do it. But whatever. Bathsheba should have been the most bitter woman in that family. But surprisingly, she is not. Betrayal is something others do to you. Bitterness is something you do to Proverbs 31, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Proverbs 31 is a final proverb. It's an incredible proverb. The first eight verses, the mother will tell the son about three fundamental principles about life. You keep this, which you didn't keep. If you keep this, you will be always successful. After that, it talks about what an ideal woman should be. 
which they believe he wrote. You know who King Lemuel is? It's Solomon. Who is his mother? Bishima. Bishima. That is one mother who never talked to her son about the failings and the mistakes of his father. Never. She never spoke to him about his father ill. One word. So this young man grew up unlike the other sons, always honoring his father. And the day came for God to pick a king for the throne of David. He picked Solomon. When they came, when God had to have a man who would build a temple for him first, he picked Solomon. When Solomon dedicates his temple, he will say, My God, my father. My God, my father. My God, my father. Why? Because one woman refused to be bitter. Refused to be bitter. It doesn't, it's not what life does to you. It's what you do to yourself that will ultimately matter. I'm telling young people too. Maybe you were abandoned by your parents. But God said, I am a father to the orphans. Maybe you're abandoned by your spouse. God says, I'm a husband to the widows. You should have to be bitter. Betrayal is what they did to you. Bitterness is what you do to yourself. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be unforgiving. Let it go. Pass on. Move on with God. Because there's only one way you can move on. You can move on with people in different ways, but only one way to move on with God. Your spirit has to be clear. With the world, if you're intellectual and you show off your intellectual, you will have a company of intellectuals. If you're fit, you will have a company of fit. But with God, these things don't matter. The only thing that matters is, do you have a contrite and a humble spirit? And God says, I'm with you. And I'm with you all the way. And it doesn't matter how history judges you. I judge you differently. Differently. Think about it, this man. Think about David. 2017, December. He's all over the news. Jerusalem shall be called the city, the capital of David. All over the news. How many thousands of years later? Still all over the news. They call it Jerusalem, D.C. Washington, D.C. to Jerusalem, D.C. Heard it? David's capital. What a man. Does he have a good resume? In man's side? No. Does he have a good resume in God's side? God says, yes, excellent. All are sinners. But most are not contrite. He said, that man is contrite. That man is humble. Therefore, I speak to him. So, focus. Get rid of the filthiness of the spirit if you want to grow close to God this year. Get rid of pride. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of jealousy. Get rid of all these things that mess up, clog your spirit where you are not able to see the kingdom of God. Make your priorities very clear early in 2018. Very early in 2018. Make it very clear. Don't delay. Don't Many have delayed in things that are really important. Really, really important. They delay. And God says, don't delay. Early. Do these things early. Go back to Joshua chapter 3. 
not John, sorry, it was Joshua. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, the priest, the Levites, bearing it, you shall set out from your place and go after it. Okay? This is a new beginning. The ark of the covenant. These people are told something. He says, when you see the ark of the covenant, your God and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now we know 40 years earlier, roughly 40 years plus years earlier, Moses had prayed a prayer. In Exodus 33, when he prayed this prayer, this was God's answer to that prayer. God was very pleased with his prayer. God is not pleased with all prayers. He just answers because when our children ask us, we just give them. That doesn't mean we are pleased with their prayers. But with some prayers, they are we are very pleased. This is a father is incredibly pleased with his prayer. He says, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. God's answer. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from here. He says, you look, promised land and all, okay, fine. But if you are not coming with us, I am not going. I will stick in the desert where you are. Where you are. Some of you young people need to say that to God. Lord, I am waiting for a breakthrough in my life. I want a better job. I want to move. But you need to say first, God, if you are not going, I am not going. I will stick to the job I have. This is where you want me and this is where you will be with me. This is where I stay. Because for me, your presence is bigger than a job. It's your presence that I sought. Bring up. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses is saying, how will the people in the world know that you are with us? What is the mark? We all look the same. Some of them are, most of them are smarter than us. But how do they know we are different? Because your presence is with us. How will people know that we are different? Because God's presence is with us. Or rather God's presence has to be with us. We have to create conducive conditions whereby which it's no longer about we abiding with him. Because now we are the house. It's about him abiding with us. He says, I know you by He says, I I listen to your prayer. I know you by name. God knows everybody by name, but that's not what he means. He says, I know you by name. I know you. I know you. I I know all those people who actually have come today seeking me. Some people have come because they like fellowship. Some people have come because they like listening to Pastor James. Some people have come because they want God. God says, I know them by name. I know them by name. He heard it often. You have to hear these things again and again. He walks through Jericho. Thousands of hundreds of people, massive crowd. He sees one man. Zacchaeus. Why? He is the only one who is seeking the presence of God there. The others have come to see the spectacle. But he is desperate for one glimpse of Jesus. Jesus said, I see you. Come down. I'm stopping, taking a break of journey here. 
I'm coming to your house. I see you're so desperate to see me. You can come down and see me at close quarters. I'll come to your house. Give me a meal. You're seeking my presence. I know you by name. I know you by name. Zacchaeus, come down. So God said, one way people will know that you are my people is my presence will go with you. And because you are also physical and not just spiritual, I will give you a symbol of my presence. The symbol that my presence is with you and on which my presence will be is, I will give you what is called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Testimony. That's what Joshua is telling. The Ark moves, watch it, move along with it. Meaning, wherever you go into this new place, move along as the presence of God directs you. He gave them a visible symbol. What was that? It was the Ark of the Covenant. Until the new covenant is opened and we read from the writer of Hebrews, we don't see the secrets of what is there in the Ark. We know bits and parts from the Old Testament, but the writer of Hebrews will say in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4, he will say, which had the golden censer, that's in the holy place, and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the order is reversed. Actually, if you look in it, this was put first, then this must have gone in, and this came in third. But God doesn't put order according to history, he puts it according to spiritual reality. The golden pot of manna is Jesus Christ, the bread that came from heaven. The Aaron's bud that the rod that budded is the power of the Holy Spirit. A wooden dead stick was kept over there. By morning when they came, the spirit, the rod had budded and blossomed. We were all dead sticks. But when the Holy Spirit came upon us, we had life. But how did life come first? First we received the word. Upon the word came the spirit. And then he wrote his law in the tablets of our heart. That is God's order. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But when the work of God happens in the life of a believer, it happens with the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. You see it. This is what they were carrying, the presence of the triune God wherever they went. And God said, you're moving into a new year. Keep your eyes clear. Follow his presence. Seek the presence of God. Seek the presence of God. Actively deal with those things that block the presence of God. The presence of God is something which is very real. All these things are real. Peace and joy and love and all these things are tangible in the kingdom of God. If it is not tangible to your spirit, when your back is broken and your legs are locked up in stock and you are thrown in the midnight hour into the prison like Paul and Silas, no song will come. All you feel is the pain on your body and the anger in your soul because your spirit is closed. But when your spirit is open, what you feel is the peace, the joy and the love of God. The automatic response of the soul and the body is to break forth into praise because the kingdom of God is real. It's real. It's not up here. It's real. It's real. God is calling a people, saying that you desire me. 
You really desire me? Get rid of these things that block me. I want to come to you. I'm standing at the door of your heart and knocking. You open it. I won't break it down. I won't push it open. You open it. You keep cleansing your life. You keep growing in the word. You will see clearly, more clearly, as each day passes by. Do the things that block the presence of God. Get rid of it. Second, Hebrews 12 verse 14. Proactively seek the presence of God. You have to do two things. One, get rid of the things that block God. Two, seek after the things that bring God. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Peace with people. One of the best ways to pursue peace with people is, you know what? One of the best ways? Shall I give you little advice? From an, compared to you, an aged man, talk less. Talk less. You'll have peace with everybody. That's why scripture says, quick to listen, slow to say. Talk less. Talk less. Peace. Because peace is gained or lost through words. Pursue peace. Husbands here, pursue peace. Wives here, pursue peace. Pursue peace with all men and pursue holiness without which no one will see God. No one. God says, pursue peace with all men, holiness with God. The work of cross begins in your life. You will see, experience God more and more as each day passes by. Pursue. One, put away things that block Two, what is it? Be proactive about in your seeking of God, how you seek God. Be passionate about God and things that matter to Him. Things that matter to Him in 2018. Things that matter, not matter to us, matter to Him in 2018. For God, the things that matter are the things of the Spirit, not the things. Those things, He can answer it like that. That's why He's telling Martha, 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 didn't you hear did you hear? How many I fed with five loaves of bread? How many? Five thousand men and children and women. And you're worrying about cooking when I'm sitting in your house? Martha. And you're upset with your sister because she's sitting at my feet? Don't you see my father is interested in spiritual things first? I always used to say in the old days when I used to take Bible studies in homes in different countries, different states, And I used to go, I used to tell them, first tell them, when I am coming there for the Bible study in the evening, don't sit in the kitchen and do tang, 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 tang. I am not coming to eat. You feed me, I'm okay. But when I sit down to teach, please let the whole household be there. Even if you give me a little rice and dal, I am fine. You don't give me also, I am fine. I haven't come to eat, I have come to teach. The problem is when people call pastors home, they are busy making a spread without realizing the pastor's already eaten and come. We have nothing to give except the word of God. We are not coming to fill our appetites. Jesus is telling that to Martha. Martha, Martha. Relax. All these things God can add like this. It's not a big thing for him. The one who created everything by the power of his word, can't he create things? Of course he can. 
He can. It's not a big thing for God. But what is important to him are the spiritual things. Because he's raising up a set of worshippers in these last days who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is life. It's not singing in the beginning of a service. It's life. That's what God is talking about. Be passionate. Be really passionate. Seek God. Today we sang that song. The river flowing. Did you sing that song? What is that river? Musi. Hyderabad had two rivers. One dried up, disappeared. Only one is left. What was the other river's name? Do you know your Hyderabad history? I'm not Hyderabadi. I'm from Kerala. Do you know Hyderabad history? It had two rivers. Two rivers. One was Musi. The other was Isi. One named after Moses. The other named after Jesus. Isi and Musi. Two rivers. One dried. Musi is still there. Biblical characters living in that city, we don't know. Read Hyderabad's history. When I was an editor with Oriel Longman, I edited one of the history books on Hyderabad. That's how I know all the details. Okay. So we are living. But that river is not what the Bible is talking about. The river is talking about the river of the Holy Spirit. When you seek God, God seeks you. And what's the result? Ezekiel talks about what happens. We last year's promise, rivers of living water will flow. So is that a physical river or is it a spiritual river? It's a spiritual river. That means, you know in the book of Genesis, scripture says from Eden, a river flowed and it split into four and went in four directions. From heaven, the spirit's river flows and it flows through the bellies of men and women around the world. It's a river of life. It's spiritual. It is not physical. If it's physical, it's not possible. This is spiritual. There's a river that flows from the very throne of heaven, pours into the lives of people and pours out for them and it touches the lives of others. And what the scripture says, and it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. Wherever the rivers go, it will flow from many bellies. Wherever those people go, people will live. They will bring life because what is flowing from them is the very life of God. What happens? There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go therefore they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. Wherever the river of God flows, there will be life and there will be healing. The lives of people. The problem is there. Sometimes this river can go and it doesn't flow anymore. It becomes what we say in English a swamp or a marsh. Swamp or a marsh. Next verse. 47, 11. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. If you stop the river of God's spirit flowing in your life, he says, it will be given over to salt. It will not flow. He says, I have given you my spirit so that it shall flow from you continuously. Don't block my spirit. Don't block my spirit. Allow it to flow. Allow it to flow. Otherwise it will be given over to? Should go road. Should go. Nobody will dwell there. Fishes will die over there. People around also will die. Is that your life? People around you are dying? 
You are a child of God, but you go to your office, all around you are dying. They get more angry, more bitter, more miserable because you are bitter and because you have blocked the life of God. Oh, that's not our destiny. Our destiny is to allow the life of God to flow. Bring the presence of God wherever you go. That was last year. This year God says, seek me even more. Even more. Last year's promise hasn't gone away. It will only increase if you attach this year's promise to last year. I seek you with all my heart. He says my river will flow even more. Even more. That's what you mean every day you open your life and say, Lord, I surrender. Use me, O Lord. Use me, O Lord. I am here. I cannot open doors. You can open doors. I am willing to go anywhere and allow your spirit to flow. Send me somebody, Lord. Pray that way. Not, Lord, give me favor with God and with man. By man, I mean my manager should give me a promotion. No. My manager should ask me, what is the reason for your hope? Everybody is getting pink slip. Why are you happy? Because my God lives in me. That should be the question they should ask. Everybody was stunned by Joseph. Ultimately, they said that Hebrew. That Hebrew dude, he has his God with him. Potiphar said, his God with him. Prison warden said, his God with him. Pharaoh's dream, nobody is able to crack. All the wise men of Egypt is not to crack. Suddenly somebody's memory came back. And he said, ah, there is a Hebrew boy. He can interpret dreams. Why? His God is with him. Finally, when Pharaoh hears, his mouth falls open. And he says, you are talking like God only. Who else can take care of this country? After me, you only number two. Why? Was that the wisdom of the world? Was that the wisdom of the Egyptians? Was that intellectual? It was spiritual. Absolutely spiritual because this young man, even in those horrible, terrible conditions, had aligned his spirit to the spirit of God. And God spoke through him. Jesus says, one day it will be like that for all those who align their spirit with my spirit. I will say, in this world... After me, it is you. Rule on my behalf. They shall reign with Christ a thousand years. It's a promise to everyone. But God says, seek me. Seek me. Seek me. Seek me. So this year, Lord, examine me, Lord. Show me. Listen to your conversation. Young people, older people, older people, oldest people, everybody. Brother Banu has joined me. Now we are both white-haired. I love it. I had company now, finally. God says, don't let your life go stale. It's not over. God has much to do. Much to do through us if you are willing and available. In Jeremiah 9 and verse 23 and 24, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this. He understands and knows me. God says you can glory in one thing. Don't glory about any of... Peter, don't glory about the sinning ability. It's not sinning, singing ability. God says any of the abilities you or I have, God says don't glory about it. Relevant. If any man 
boast. Any man glories. Let him glory in this one thing. What is that? He understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight, says the Lord. The man who actually knows God and understands God will always balance because he actually knows God. He will balance kindness with judgment. God is kind. God is severe. Consider the severity and the kindness of God. He knows God. That's why he balances. The fellow who doesn't know God and only knows scripture says, God is judging, God is judging, God is judging, God is judging. There is no mercy. The fellow who doesn't know God will say, God is merciful. He understands, he understands, he understands because he doesn't understand judgment. God says, the one who knows me will know how to balance him because I am both merciful and I judge. I do both. So if you want to judge preachers, judge them how they balance the knowledge of God. How they balance. It's not just grace that came with Jesus Christ. Truth also came. It's not just truth that came with Jesus Christ. Grace also came. Balance it. Beautifully balance it. And how do you balance it more and more? The more you know God, understand God, you are able to understand and balance it. This is what God is. How do you know? Because I know Him. I didn't learn it in Bible college. I learned it in my closet. That's why. Where did David learn all this? He learned it in his prayer. In his brokenness, he learned who God was. Where did Solomon learn it? From his books. I searched after knowledge. I searched of the birds and animals, reptiles, snakes, scorpions. Finally, he became a snake at the end. Never will God mention Solomon after that. If he mentions, he'll mention it sarcastically in the New Testament. He will say, even the, look at the lilies of the valley. Did you see those simple flowers? Even Solomon in all his grandeur wasn't dressed like that. But David, my boy. See, that's why scripture says knowledge puffs off. We don't run after knowledge. We run after the knowledge of God. We want to know him, the person of God. That's our desire. That is salvation. What is eternal life? Knowing him is eternal life. Four little boys were boasting as only little boys can. Fellows after Sunday school were sitting and talking. One fellow said, my dad knows the mayor. Second fellow said, you know, my dad talks to the governor. Another fellow boasted, I think my dad knows the man in White House. I hear him calling Mr. President. The fourth fellow was the poor pastor's son. He looked at him and said, I don't know, but I think my dad knows God. Because I hear him talking him to him every day. If you know somebody, you talk to him. You don't just pray. You talk to him. Have you noticed Jesus' prayers? There were prayers and there were conversations. That I know, you always hear me. You always hear me. Yes, I have checked my heart. It's one thing I look. Nothing blocks our communication. I always do the things that please you. Therefore, you have never left me. Never left me. That's why I say, learn from the master. 
Rivers of living water. Like I said, people will look at all your mistakes. All your mistakes. That's what people will see. Luke 15, verse 30. Record of mistakes. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. He knows his brother's testimony better than him. This fellow is the original brother's keeper in the flesh. Are your brother's keeper? Yes, I'm keeping the record of all his sins. Who is this? The elder brother. There are many, many elder brothers floating around in churches. They know everything about the younger brother. Look at the other side of the father's testimony. Luke 15. Yeah. 20. As he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His father. Fathers know one look at the children. They know where they are coming. Faking forgiveness, repentance or genuine. Parents know their children very well. Hello, it's gone. Fearful. Will daddy scold me? Will daddy take me back? He's coming prepared speech. Daddy, please, just as a servant. Daddy shows him his heart broke. It's not the son ran. The father ran. Father ran. He didn't even let him do anything. He put his arms around him. He fell on his neck and kissed him. He says, it's all gone. All God is looking is, will you repent and forsake your sin? You are mine. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You left the pig pen? You come back? That's all. That's all. Maybe you young kids have forgotten the story. Let me tell you this story. There was a young girl, like all young girls, in a U.S. little town, village town. She wanted the fast life she had heard, seen, and she wanted when she ran away from her house. She reached one of the big cities. In the big cities, what happens? Smart dudes come in, took her in a car, say, you come, okay, we have this Hollywood, blah, blah, appointment, little. End of the story, she became a prostitute. She's messed up her life. Messed up her life. She doesn't know what to do. Her life is messed. This is her life. But she still could remember her father and mother. So she finally summed up her courage and said, Dad and Mom, this is your daughter. This is what I have become. I want to come back home. But I don't know whether you will forgive me and accept me. I will catch the train tonight. Before reaching the station, the train will pass our house. And if you have forgiven me, there is an oak tree. You know that oak tree. Please tie a ribbon on it. If I see the ribbon, I know you have forgiven me. I will get off. If it is not there, I will continue and go back. She posted the letter. Not that night. Few days later, she got into the train, heart pounding. What is going to happen? What is going to happen? What is going to happen? The story says, as the train crossed and reached the near the oak tree, the oak tree was full of ribbons. And her entire family was waiting at the station, say, child, just come back home. 
You don't want to what you did. It's over. Let's come back home. That's our God. That's what God is talking about. Some of our children will come back only that way. I keep telling parents, they may come back from the pig pen. When they come back from the pig pen, no conditions, just come back, that's all. That's all. That's what grace and truth means. We stand on truth. Walk in grace. What it will cost for this generation to come back to God, we don't know. So we release them into God's hands. God, you only know what are the idols in their hearts. What are they pursuing? All we can do is stand there in grace, teach them the truth. When they are grown, many of you teenagers in 2018 will finish your 12th and make your own decisions and go away. Whatever you taught and learned here is going to be tested when you have your freedom in when you go out of the city out of the protection you had, then you start making your decisions. Then it will show whether you will go to church or not. Whether you will choose, first thing, I need to find a house of God. I need to go find a place. That is when your real decisions are going to be made. It's not now. Now you are all herded. Come Wednesday. Come Sunday. Come, 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 come. A day will come when others won't choose for you. You will have to choose for yourself. And then if you slip and fall, go down. I always tell churches, pastors and parents, let your heart be open like the father's heart is. The father's heart is. That's what salvation is all about. That's what salvation is all about. That's what he died for. That's what Jesus said. I did not come. To save the righteous. I came to save the sinners. And the righteous had a major issue. Why do sinners flock after him? He says, because I came for them. So there is conviction. There is contrition. When you move towards God. There is both. There's both. Understand God. Know God very clearly. Don't get into religion. Don't get into religion. God is a real person. His spirit is a real person. His son is a real person. When you approach a person, when you approach me, you will know you have approached me. Whether you can approach me or not. You know, because I'm a person. You know what scripture says in James chapter 4 about approaching God? It says, draw near to God. And he will draw how do you know he has drawn near to you? He's not a physical person. He's a spiritual person. How will you know? Because there is incredible conviction in your heart. Saying, cleanse your hands. Immediately the spirit like an x-ray will show the work of your hands is wrong. It will show your hearts. Your motives of your heart. Your mind is double minded. It will show you everything like an x-ray film. Like the doctor looks at it and says, ah, you got TB. He never knew he had TB. When you approach God, He will show your hands, He will show your mind, He will show your heart. That is conviction. Conviction should lead to contrition. Because God loves a contrite and a humble heart. You are that man. Broken. I am that man. God says, I love that fellow. He's not only broken, he's humble. Why is he humble? 
Because I'm going to tell him something which ordinary men and women will never do. David, I have something to tell you. Yes, Lord. I want to write a psalm. Oh, speak to my soul. No, nothing like that. Encourage. Nothing like that. Then, about what you did. Will you write a psalm? Yes, Lord. No problem. Thus begins Psalm 51. Against you and you alone have I sinned. It's always before you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. God says, you know what? He's just not contrite. That kid is humble. He will listen to anything that I say. That's why he said, that man was after my own heart. My own heart. That's what God is talking about. Draw near to God. How will you know? If you draw, now it's winter, no? It's kind of winter in Hyderabad. If you go outside all the poor people over there, you will see they all have lighted and they are sitting near. If you draw near to fire, will you know it? If you draw near to God, you will know. Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. As soon as you draw near to you, your heart goes top, 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 top. Everything is being revealed. Your hand is the work of your hands. The attitude in your heart, the thoughts in your mind, everything is revealed. And then, God says, this is the natural reaction if you really have sought me. You will lament, you will moan, you will weep in your closet. It's got nothing to do with what you did. It is got to do with against whom you did. When your little child has done something wrong, when he comes crying, mommy, is he worried about what you did or because he's upset that his mommy is upset? That's why God said, be like a little child. Be like a little child. He doesn't know the magnitude of what he has done because he doesn't. He only knows that mommy said, don't do it. Now I have done it. Mommy will get upset. And if he sees mommy is not upset, he's not upset. Though the sin remains the same. Have you noticed? Parents who have small children. So David is saying, I'm not looking at what I did. I'm looking at whom I did it. Against you and you alone. I broke your heart. Lord. I broke your heart. Nobody has ever loved me as you loved me. And I have loved nobody as I have loved you. How could I do this to you? That is conviction. That is conviction. People in Jerusalem are all religious people who really loved Yahweh. They are religiously following the law three times a year. They have all come for the feast of Pentecost and they were all religious, nice people. And then Peter stood up and spoke. They were cut to the heart. This Jesus Christ, you have? What have you done? What have we done? For thousands of years we waited for the Messiah and when the Messiah came we killed him. What have we done? Oh Lord, what have we done? The repentance was not over their sin. The repentance over what they had done to God. That's the point. That's what you need to understand. It is about a person. A person. About a person. And if you are not moved by that person, we are not going to be moved by anything. So this morning, even as you come to the communion table, you're coming to a person. It's a person who shed his blood. Don't, don't think intellectually and make this blood of Jesus into a thing. It is the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus.
It is the body of Jesus. It's morning. Seek Him. Ask the elders to come, the worship team to come. God will, God is always looking into our hearts. Always. He will remind you of things which we have forgotten. When you approach God only, He will show. Do you remember? I said, no Lord, I forgot. He said, good. I haven't forgot. It's, it is interesting to, to go with God. Because He will remind you things which you have forgotten. You know, something which He reminded me a few days back. He said, do you remember 1991, January 5th, uh, June 5th? I said, 91, June 5th, that is 27 years ago. I said, yeah. He said, said, you know, in the month of 1991, May, I was supposed to go to Delhi. If I had gone to Delhi, you would have never seen me again. Okay. I had booked my ticket to go on May 28th to Delhi. I'd come back from working two years in Bhutan, pots of money. I was decided I'm going to Delhi where my best friend is, who's working with the government. We're going to rent an apartment. We're going to work together in Delhi and make cover. That would have been a big pen, okay? Got protected. Suddenly, in the last week of May, this guy lands up because he's got a proposal. He's come, summer season, railways, everybody understands. He comes and he says, James, come, I have to see the girl. When she, he says, I have to go back, but I have no ticket. I had booked two tickets. This January 28th, May 28th to Delhi and June 5th to Hyderabad. Two tickets. I said, I will not cancel it, I will wait. So I said, okay, I have a ticket 28th, why don't you go on my ticket? He took my ticket and he went. I had one ticket left. And I came to Hyderabad to do my IFLU entrance. Coming first time to Hyderabad. I came to Hyderabad by train. Got off the station, found a hotel, checked in the hotel, went to Iflu, found where Iflu is, came back. You know the first thing I did, which I had forgotten? He said, do you remember? First thing you did in Hyderabad? You walked down the railway station. On the corner, there was a church. SPG. It was open. It was evening. Nobody was there. One door was open. All I did was walk in, get on my knees and say, Lord, I don't know what you have brought me here for. But here I am. He said, do you remember? He said, no. He said, I remember. That's why you are here. I've forgotten. I've forgotten. God doesn't forget. That's what I'm telling young people. You are taught here. You learn here. When you go over, wherever you go, find the house of God. Go into that house and tell God, I am here. I don't know why I'm here. You know why I'm here. Here is my life. Here is my life. So our lives don't belong to us anymore. It belongs to Him. Because scripture says we are bought with a price. You surrender doesn't matter how many messes you make. There is a God who will take your mess and make it into a message. But surrender. This morning, seventh day, first Sunday of 2018, say, Lord, I am in your house. I just surrender my life. Because you gave your life for me. I have nothing to give you but my life. And I give you my life. Give you my life. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your son.
Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. All we can say now and forever is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Father, let us not boast of anything but about Christ and the cross. All our achievements, all that we have, all that we have done is insignificant before what you have done for us. We just want to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming, for dying in our place, for rising up, overcoming death, going ahead of us, for preparing a place for us so that we are a people of hope. Not only in this life, because you are with us, but also in the life to come. Because you are there for us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. As we partake of this emblems, I pray, it will bring healing. It will open the eyes of our spirit. It will bring strength to continue to walk, seek and walk with you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. As we come to the close, can we have Joshua? God said, follow the ark. Follow the ark. Follow his presence. That's what he told Moses. My presence shall go before thee. For us, he says, we shall name him Emmanuel. Because he is God with us. He will go with us. He will go before us. He will go with us. But, with a warning. There shall be a space between you and it. Keep a space. Don't get familiar with God. Don't get familiar with God. Churches who are very familiar with God actually do not know Him. Keep a distance. Scripture says keep a distance. Follow Him, but with reverence. Scripture says you are saved. You are being saved. Scripture says work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Fear and with trembling. Keep a distance. We are only on the seventh day of this year. Nobody knows what lies ahead. Does anybody know? Any prophets here? Even prophet will take one event. He cannot dictate the next 51 weeks. There's only one who knows. Scripture says, You may know the way which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. None of us has gone this way before. Nobody. Not even the devil. Even he doesn't know. He thinks he knows, but he doesn't know. There's only one who knows. Because scripture says he sees the end from the beginning. So God says, keep a distance. Be reverential. But follow him. Seek him. Follow him. And then 2018 doesn't hold fear for us. Doesn't hold. Yes, scripture says everything that can be shaken, the writer of Hebrews says will be shaken. But the people in the kingdom are not shaken. Why? Because 
we are being given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You see, in my mobile, there is a compass. The problem is the compass is very shaky. But doesn't matter how shaky it is, it always points north. And for you young people, your life may be very shaky, but point north always. Because God says in his scripture, I'm not giving you a specific direction, but scripture says his throne is in the north. I don't know why the compass points north, but scripture says his throne is in the north. So even the compass looks at the north. Half of India looks to the east, rest look to the west, waiting for a green card, but God's people look to the north. North. Life may be very shaky. Your life may be very shaky, but life should have one direction. Doesn't matter, shake all your way, but shake and go moving, keep moving to the north. Keep moving to the north where he is and he is faithful and he will take care of us. He will take care of us. Amen? Because he will say that he's true and he's faithful. Shall we stand? Shall we sing? My God is awesome. Eh? God is awesome. My God is awesome. He can move the mountains. Keep me in the valley. Hide me from the rain. My God is awesome. Heals me when I'm broken. Strength where I've been weakened. Forever he will reign. My God is awesome. Awesome. Yes, he is. Awesome. Oh, my God is awesome. 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 Counselor, Prince of Peace. We declare in your house.
and in your life. In our lives, the government is on your shoulders. We just surrender ourselves into thy hands and we pray and we confess to the increase of your government. There shall be no end, O oh Lord. Grow in us. Take complete control, O oh God. Go with us. Go before us. We just surrender ourselves into thy hands, O oh We do not know what this month, the coming months, this year holds for us. But we know who holds the year for us. And our trust is in you. Our hope is in you, Lord. Speak healing into the body of Christ. We confess what we sang by your stripes. We are healed, O Lord. We receive that healing. We receive that strength. We receive that salvation in increasing measure of God. So that we can go forth wherever we go, Lord. Let your life flow, Lord. Unrestricted, let it flow, Lord. Because wherever that river flows, there will be life for God. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Go before us. Go before us, Lord. Make every crooked path straight. To your glory be there, Lord. May you be glorified, Lord. By faith we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, O God. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, thank you, Lord. For thine is the power, the kingdom and the glory forever and ever, O Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.